Welcome to Hoof and Horn, a witch's podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, paganism, music, the occult, and whatever else we want. Welcome once again to the Hoof and Horn, a witch's podcast. In this episode, Braxis and I speak with Sarita de Este, and we talk about the goddess Hecate, as well as the Hecate Symposium 2021, which is taking place this year virtually. Music in this episode by Black Market Vinyl and Metal Horse. Please see the show notes for information on the symposium, how to find Sarita's work, information about the Covenant of Hecate, and links to the band pages. Remember to follow us on our social media, both on Instagram, Facebook, and even TikTok, because we have one of those. And should you want to drop us a line, email hoof.horn.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Slight heads up, at one point during the interview with Sarita, we lost our internet connection, so when you hear the sound of a little trumpet, you'll know exactly why it's there and what happened. Technology isn't perfect, but at least you can have fun when there's mistakes.
Boom. All right, here we go. Hello, oh. Sarita. Oh, there she goes. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking my cat's not in here. Oh, that's okay. Kansu cat. Mm. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm going to introduce Braxis to Kansu cat on some of your pictures that you've posted because that it's cat not a, is... It's not in the room, but he's got a horrible habit of jumping on my desk the moment I start talking because yes. obviously I'm talking to him. Right, right, right. And he has to get involved. I, I did, know all about it. I did hear he was the ruler of the world. <laughs> I think he thinks he is. Right. Okay. He thinks he is. <laughs> so usually when we start, we might ask somebody to, like, not label yourself, but sort of describe yourself and your practice. You know, do you consider, I, I know this already, but for people that don't know who you are, do you consider yourself a witch, a priestess, an occultist, a magician, or something else, or something all of those above? So how would you describe yourself, Sarita? Well, personally, I have always had trouble with, with labels because labels are defined by other people mm -hmm. rather than by yourself. So the moment you start using labels, you are kind of at the mercy of somebody else's interpretation of that label. So I prefer to, to kind of stick to things that are absolutely true. So I am a polytheist. I believe in many gods. I'm also a theurgist. I practice rituals that fit into the, the realm of theurgy, divine workings, um, the aim of which is to unite with the divine. And I'm a priestess of Ekati and of some other deities as well that I've dedicated myself to for life. I guess I'm also a magician. I'm also a sorceress. I'm also many other things. I'm also a mother, you know, to a child and a cat. And, you know, I love gardening. There's so many labels that we can all use. So I think it's it's one of those really, really complicated yeah. questions. You know, it's, it's something that, that I think when we're all starting out, we're very keen to use those labels and decide on those labels and, you know, label ourselves. But I feel that labels are really, really limiting because we end up in a situation where maybe we use a label that isn't true in the future or that isn't true according to somebody else's definition so yes yeah and i think we like switch our masks or you know our hats that we wear depending on what we're doing like you had just talked about you're a mom to uh you know your son and and your cat and then you're also a gardener and then you're a priestess and so we don't always wear those those labels or masks or hats 24 7 and there's I think a freedom to that to allow yourself more space and I also think as a priestess of Hecate or Hecate as you say how fitting right like why try to box that in and why try to box her in so why are you boxing yourself in you're not so it's, it's totally true. I mean, she's a goddess of so many different things and so many different people that it's it's kind of like trying to define something in a limiting way that just doesn't exist in the world that we find ourselves in. I mean, even the whole earth and then the universe and then the multi, you know, there, there's so many layers to everything in life that I think any way that we try and explain things when it comes to labels, we've really got to be careful in the words that we choose because mm. we can get stuck in that. And also, I think there's a danger sometimes with people using 
I don't know, like a label like witch. <laughs> Um, when they don't really practice witchcraft, but then they're kind of boxing themselves in and they can't see beyond that to find what it is that they really want to do and what it is that they really stand for. Um, so I think all these labels have their problems, even the ones that I've just used. You know, some of them are empirically true. You know, I am definitely a mother and you can look at my fingernails to know I'm definitely a gardener. But it's this problem is with all the labels because I think we all evolve and the meanings of words sometimes evolve as well and we have no control over those things necessarily um, but I do believe that it's important to stand up and say I am the things that you are because it defines who we are it defines our life path we can find ourselves changing because of the words that we use as well that's true. I think it's like a, even a jumping off from, you know, how you call yourself or how you look at yourself or do or don't label yourself. Um, who is Hecate to you? You know, I, I know I have come to you in private, you know, a couple times probably, like when I'm about to lose my mind over some of the things that I see. And, and I always, and I go, yep, when I see you post about like, okay, here's this thing, let's discuss it, right? And my big thing mm -hmm. these days and I, I see out there is like this dark mother, dark goddess. And having me you know having worked with Hecate now for you know going on a little over a decade this is mm -hmm. a kind of a new thing to me you know and you've been doing this even longer than myself so I know how you see her I would love for you to tell <laughs> Braxis you know tell the listener like how do you see her yes yeah, so for me Hecate is a goddess that um, is primarily the soul of the world that is a concept that comes from the Chaldean oracles and it's also found in Neoplatonism which is the connection the kind of space between things so she's an incredibly liminal goddess um, kind of like the space between heaven and earth and the space between the earth and the underworld or the space between life and death so we find Hecate in many of these places. Hecate can be found again and again and again when we look at those spaces between death and birth, rebirth, um, journeys into the underworld, journeys into initiation. All these kind of liminal points where we cross over from one state of being into another. So that makes her kind of rather unique amongst the gods, especially the Hellenic pantheon. But in addition to that, she's got a long history of being worshipped in different regions of the world under the same name with many different epithets. The epithets have, have been really highlighted in recent years because there's two or three um, devotees who've dedicated a lot of time to collecting all the epithets from different sources. And I think that's really, really fascinating. It's, it's an amazing contribution that they've made to the understanding people have mm -hmm. of Ecclesi and the many different roles she's, she's had. But there's also a danger that we start thinking about those epithets as different things. You know, so going back to the labeling myself, you know, I said, I'm a mother, I'm a gardener, I'm a theurgist. Um, you know, I could be called a sorcerer because I, I have 
worked in that kind of magic. I'm also a friend and a lover and, and many other things, depending on who you ask. But all of those things are still me. And I think the same is true with the gods, these epithets and the theonyms, the kind of holy names that they are given. It's all still the same entity. It's not like when we call Hecate Inudia, the, the goddess of the roads. It's not like when we say Inudia, that is necessarily a different goddess. Or mm -hmm. when we call her Soteira, uh, the saviour, which is a, a title she's given in different places. It's not like that's a different name. That, that in fact, is a descriptive epithet that is given to other deities as well. So, for example, Zeus is also the saviour, as is Athena in, in different different times and in different contexts. The same with the very popular Chthonia epithet that, that people really highlight a lot when they try and talk about the, the dark aspects of Hecate. Chthonia means from the earth. And there's a wonderful depiction of the goddess Gaia, or Gay where she's kind of bursting forth like a seedling from the earth. The earth is kind of cracking up and she's half in and half under the earth. And I always think of that as, as very much a Chthonic depiction of Gaia, who also has the title of Chthonia, as does Demeter. Mm -hmm. You know, so this title from the earth is not unique to Ecate. So it's really important that we remember that. You know, as devotees, if we use these epithets, we are referring, we know what we're referring to. But if we're speaking to other people, they may actually misunderstand that. Just like if you went and said, oh, the mother of the boy, <laughs> you know, to, to a random crowd of people, they wouldn't necessarily think of me because there's many other mothers of boys. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's really important to remember that these things aren't necessarily the name of it is just a descriptive title of Hecate, but also for all the gods, because all the gods have these different um, epithets, the different names, etc. It's not just Hecate. So there's that. And with Hecate as well, we've got a, a long period of worship. The, the first sources we have of her goes back to the Theogony in written form. And then a couple of, dec a couple of centuries before that for depictions that we believe is her and you know during the time that we've got recorded worship for her or mentions of her it's over a really wide um, geographic area so the regions that are now Greece Turkey even Syria this this kind of records from what is now Israel Libya Egypt which is North Africa mm -hmm. We've got records from what is now southern Italy, Sicily, the Balkan countries like Bulgaria, Croatia. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very wide ranging region that has references to her. Even the very short lived Greek colony of Bactria um, issued coins with Zeus holding Ecate out on his hand. Um, Bactria was where kind of I've got um, where or my brain, Pakistan is today, mm, okay. a kind of region at the top of um, Europe, Asia, kind of connecting into India. So it's, it's a very, very wide geographic region to her. She's a very uniquely universal goddess from that time and that pantheon. And additionally, she just seems to have this ability to 
transcend through different time periods and make herself relevant. And I think that's one of the reasons that we still find so many people drawn to her today, um, because she's still relevant. You know, there's still things that she represents that people feel that they need today. So today, of course, she's the kind of aspect of her being associated with magic and witchcraft is highlighted above all others. Mm-hmm. But that's only a really small part of her whole history. But if that's a doorway for people to understand it, that's the way she's making herself relevant today. So there's nothing wrong with that because right. it is part of who she is. Mm-hmm. But it's a little bit like all those labels are equally important. And I think I, I don't like... I, I wrote a chant 20 years ago, actually, this year, um, in April. So 20 years and a month ago. Wow. <laughs> I um, I came up with this little chant that uses the phrase Dark Mother Fergity, which a lot of people have used since. And I still like the chant, and it brings back happy memories of many, sure. many amazing rituals and pilgrimages across the English landscape to ancient burial tombs to do rituals. But... In reality, I think Hecate is more like a challenging mother than a dark mother. Oh, and yes. I think challenging <laughs> is something that is not something we want to admit to sometimes because she's not dark as in the sense of, you know, switch the lights off and sit in a dark corner. You know, there are stories where she is in caves, but there's also stories where she manifests as pillars of light. And of course, the most famous tool or object associated with her are her torches and those torches symbolize her it's a way of recognizing ancient statues or depictions seeing the two torches or the six torches in a triple form or you know in in many different multiples so those multiple torches and also lamps and you find lamps with depictions of her on it's very much symbols of her that kind of light fire side of it and Light is something that illuminates the darkness and shows you what's around you. It's not the darkness, it's the light in the darkness. And I don't know, you know, if anybody's been in a room by themselves, completely dark, and you imagine these creepy crawlies. Mm -hmm. If you switch the lights on, (laughs) you can either find out there's no creepy crawlies, everything is okay, or you can find out that there's the biggest creepy crawly ever sitting there watching you, much bigger, much scarier than what you imagined. And I think that's the challenging thing with Hecate's torches and her light, is she she does illuminate those things that we don't necessarily want to see or admit to ourselves in our own lives, but also in the world around us. So it's very much like a shattering of illusion, which can be incredibly challenging for any of us, because none of us like to have our beliefs challenged in any way. Mm. True. Absolutely. And I, I feel like as I've maybe here and there brought that up to, to people, it seems like many people really push back on that. And so then I just go back into my corner, you know, and maybe the corners of the interwebs, like on the Covenant of Hecate page, where people are a bit more accepting of not boxing her into this dark, mm-hmm. creepy, crawly, just always surrounded by the dead and ghosts and the darkness and go and say to myself I think also no go ahead go ahead a a lot of those ghost story associations it's that that has always been part of a history Mm -hmm. but of course during the kind of late pagan early Christian period those were the things that were highlighted 
by Christian writers writing about the gods right. and they would highlight those things about her and somehow as kind of modern pagans or magicians or whatever we want to call ourselves we seem to be reaching out to the late Christian writers that had every reason to depict the gods in a bad way right. so you know sometimes things are really out of whack the, the way that these things are depicted and described especially with the more powerful deities and it's not just Hecate that suffers from that mm -hmm. you know it's, it's a lot of the deities were depicted as not so kosher you know the right. not so kosher things the not so good things were um highlighted a lot more sure and I like the Christians writing about Pan and being satanic and because of the <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. you know so, right. you know it's, it's Pan it's a challenging God as well <laughs> For sure. but it's nothing to do with that pantheon and there's many other things about Pan that is good otherwise this cult would never have survived as long as it as it did you know right. all the gods serve a function and you know I think in addition to that period of writing that early Christian late pagan period when people were really you know trying to hang on to threads we've also got the kind of damage done by Victorian writers on the classics yes who just really didn't understand what they were writing about it wasn't malicious it was just naive right and you know people kind of continue to repeat that mm -hmm. no matter what <laughs> yeah and so you know I know like I can turn to you know, many of the, the books that you have either collected anthology-wise, like Her Sacred Fires, or um, the book that you wrote, Hecate, Hecate Liminal Rights, and now The Circle for Hecate Volumes, and really know that this is a resource, and I so appreciate that you have, that you have put these out there for us, that these are resources not only um, about other people's experiences and how mm -hmm. varied they are, like in the, you know, Her Sacred Fires book, um, but then, like, what does the history say, right? What is the what is her story? What is the historical, the classical? Like, how do we look at this? What was there, and not just running with the more recent Christian writer things and forgetting how people in ancient Greece and the ancient Greek world saw her. So, yeah, thank you for being that that voice of like, here's the history. Thank Let's you. look at this. Yeah, it seems weird. There's a, lot, there's a lot of people now writing and yes. researching and looking. You know, it's not just me, but no, definitely. Um, you know, I started doing what I did for Hecate and some of the other books I've written on other deities, and the books I've published and stuff as well in my kind of day job because I really feel that we live in an age of information. This stuff should be easier to access, and we do need to start overwriting the kind of paranoid and you know, slightly crazy stuff of the early um, pagan movement in a way, you know, where people were very naive but also worried about what other people thought. Um, I think it's time that we just use the information that we've got and it's so easy to find out stuff now. It's so easy to double check facts and stuff but we still struggle with all this, you know, kind yeah. of perpetuation of misinformation. Yeah. You know, when... And also just kind of seeing things where they're not. And, and history helps us to understand the experiences that we have, sure. in my opinion. 
Yeah, I was just going to say it's a, kind of a weird thing to peg her as a dark goddess when her symbol is a torch. I would never <laughs> think that, you know, not to say she couldn't be those things or isn't, but uh, mm-hmm. you would think that her main thing would be bringing wisdom to the darkness with her, you know, torches lighting out everything and getting away from the darkness. Mm-hmm. It, it really is it's, it's slightly ironic when you think about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And not even slightly ironic it's really ironic (laughs) um but you know light light by itself doesn't mean that she's sweet and fluffy there's this idea that oh yeah you know every time i say well she's a goddess of light (laughs) that everybody goes yeah you're trying to whitewash this all but it's 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 not that it's just actually looking at what is there you know she's holding torches right she manifests in stories as light she manifests as you know torchlight but also um what do you call it? lamp light uh-huh. and stuff like this so um it's kind of like light and fire is more challenging for people <laughs> um than imagining just sitting in a dark cave where you can't see anything and i always when i'm when i when i have to talk about this and and when i see things like this kind of want to scream and shake and say come on read plato's republic <laughs> because there's the cave right <laughs> And it's a, it's the same story, you know, somebody that's chained facing the wall of a cave all their lives mm. and given the opportunity f- to free themselves and go and see the whole world and they realise that everything they've experienced up to that moment in time has just been shadow play from things happening behind them and all the sounds they've heard has actually been echoes. And they have this opportunity to free themselves, but actually they prefer to go back and face the cave wall as if they are still chained. Right. And I think in the 21st century, we just don't have an excuse for that anymore. You know, certainly not in the Western world where right. we've got access to the internet and, you know, oodles of information. It's not like we've got to go and do something dangerous for ourselves in public. Mm-hmm. But in our private religious world and in our private, you know, magical or religious practices, whatever we want to call that, um, I think it's it's quite foolish to hang on to things that we know is wrong just because we feel more comfortable with it. Right. You know, I like to goth up just like the, any other girl, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm oh. in the countryside these days, you know. It's, it's no point in us raining here all the time at the moment. Right. But, you know, it's, it's fun to goth up and wear black and purple sparkles and way too much eye makeup. You know, I'm of that age that that's what we did. Right, right. Um, you know, it's a great aesthetic when it's done well. There's nothing wrong with that. I fully admit that I've got, I'm not going to say how many, but more than a few black velvet dresses stuck in a trunk somewhere from the 90s and the early noughties when that was a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've always hung on to them and they come out every now and then. But... Um, you know, it's not necessary for us to believe that because that's an aesthetic that we want for ourselves, that that's the aesthetic that the gods have got. And it doesn't mean that the gods don't have that aesthetic either. You know, Hegarty, I've had visions of her where it's definitely not been just a pillar of light or, you know, pretty white robes because my practice has spanned a long time and actually sometimes it's completely unexpected the things that we experience and see but you know I think it's it's, it's important that we always bring ourselves back to the facts because right. that's how we keep ourselves centered 
and grounded and how we stop ourselves from going down you know the slightly loopy magical path which is so easy that every occult tradition has a, a warning against things like that you know and there's a reason for that yeah yeah so you know i don't want to say dangerous but i think it there is an aspect of danger to ourselves where we just fill ourselves with delusion and confusion right i think that the, the word delusion is i guess maybe a word i was even trying to when we were discussing it yesterday or the day before Braxis and I, you know, like, are you like how much of your practice then is becoming a figment of your own construct and not really what the gods or Hecate has to show you. And I feel like over, you know, the, the 10 or 11 years that I've tried to figure her out, who is she, who is she, who is she, mm-hmm. the further away from me she feels. And if I stop trying to peg her as this, this is who you are, then I feel like, oh, here comes all the things because I've not tried to like constrict her in any form or correspondence or like I use, I, this is a term that makes me like my, my bones rattle. Like I use the God or this God for this, or I work, you know, like, no, how about we don't, how about I just go, Hey, She's kind of unknowable. And I there's some ideas that we have about her. And I feel like yeah. the minute I started to do that, probably within the last two years or so, now I get it more. Now I understand more. She's, she's literally called the many-formed, many-named mother of the gods. You know, that, yeah. that's literally a phrase from an invocation from Roman times, so relatively late. And I think that always comes to mind when these discussions come up about, you know, who is she? What does she look like? Because I think, you know, she is a goddess that appears in triple form, single form, double form, quadruple form, no form, light form. Um, You know, so she can't quite, you know, animal form, maiden form, whatever. There's, There's all these different forms that she appears in. And I think she can take on a million other forms if she wants to. That's not for me to decide or if I see her you know I've had a couple of visions over the years that I'm very sure was her and was relevant to my work with her and has turned out to be very relevant to with you know in in the context of my own work Mm -hmm. that doesn't fit at all with the historical depictions of her but I don't necessarily share those visions with the world because they were for me right you know, in one in particular, there was a symbol involved that it's just so bonkers. And, but it links to something else that happened to me and something else that subsequently happened. And so there's meaning in for me as, as in a kind of, you know, this is the pathway you, you're taking because look, I gave you that, now I'm giving you this and now I'm giving you that. It's like, it's like playing connect the dots. Sure. <laughs> you know, and I think when you approach it like that it's a different thing because it's it's about your own experiences and i think we should be more interested in learning about her learning her symbolic language the esoteric language that is inherent in all the gods and in all systems of magic and religion is sometimes the key that we need you know it doesn't matter which magical tradition you follow or that you think you're following or which god or which pantheon of gods or which mixture from different pantheons each deity each spirit each system has its own language and it's not a language like me i'm you know i'm trying to learn portuguese (laughs) 
failing terribly because <laughs> nobody just <laughs> pandemic um but you know i'm trying and i'm sitting there with my app and i'm talking to myself mm -hmm. and you know all this kind of stuff and you know so you learn that everything has a different name you know every single object in the world suddenly has you know i'm multilingual anyway but you know suddenly i know the word for a hand in like several languages and they're completely different words and sometimes you can hear this as similarity and sometimes there's no similarity but you learn that the word for hand can be different things it might sound like hand in english like the um the, the afrikaans word is hunt mm. you know so hunt is like hand it's spelled spelled exactly the same way but then if you skip to one of the latin languages you might have mane you know so it's like yeah. You know, the two things don't sound alike at all, but but it's the same thing. And I think with the gods, there's, there is an esoteric language that kind of under underpins it. So with Hecate, it's like if we learn her myths and her stories, which are readily available, but a lot of people don't seem to bother to start with those things, you know, kind of the, the I don't know, the, the, the um, theogony of Hesiod which tells the story of the gods, or the um, Homeric hymn to Demeter, which tells the story of Demeter and Persephone and Hecate. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of these stories out there. It's sometimes just in little tidbits sometimes, but they all have symbols in them, and they all have themes in them that can help us understand what we're experiencing and, and also being able to recognize the symbols that are associated with her you know the torches but but it's also daggers and swords and keys and and whips and snakes and offering vessels and lamps etc etc you know so by learning all those symbols and understanding to recognize if a whole bunch of them come together that it might indicate that we are dealing with equity you know, or you mentioned pan, you know, so if you see a, a goat and a pan flute and a bit of dancing and something with goat feet or hooves or little horns, then you can go, okay, this could be something else, but it could also be pan, you know? Mm -hmm. So you kind of learn to put those symbols together in order to understand rather than worrying about classical depictions or, you know, names and epithets and all these complicated things. It's, it's I think we... We need to switch our understanding of this because I think as kind of modern day pagans or polytheists or whatever we want to call ourselves, we're all converts. Well, most of us, we're yeah. mostly converts yeah. to these religions. We didn't get raised in a society where this is the mainstream thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most people are still not raised in homes where that's the mainstream thing. You know, I know I've got some friends in my, my world who were born from parents who were witches in the 60s or 70s or something, but it's still a very small minority of people. And so we don't get to learn that language that is associated with the gods that we are interested in or the magical traditions that we're interested in as children, where nobody has to sit and read a book. You just... You know, you're going to somebody's baptism or wedding and, you know, they're reading a hymn or singing a song or whatever in church or at school. You know, a lot of schools still incorporate religious studies. And in many Western countries, that 
takes the form of Christianity right. or some of the other mainstream religions, if you're lucky, might be incorporated or covered as well. But it's very, very rare for us to, you know, encounter all the different pagan religions at school or growing up. So we have to learn the language of it mm-hmm. and be able to understand the language when we encounter it, whether it's in visions or in stories or in ideas that come to us or in the rituals that we construct. It's it's a way of communicating both with the gods and just with the currents of magic and, and power and energy around them, rather than just kind of randomly stabbing in the dark and, and you know, those little encyclopedia, I always call them entries of the gods, where you said, you know, oh, I want to do a love spell. I will use and work with <laughs> Aphrodite yeah. or Venus or, or something. And it's like, really? You know, um, so I, I would like to own a multinational company. Um, you know, I can think of some really big ones that I don't particularly like. Um so I know what, I would like to work with the, the president and the managing director <laughs> to have a position equal to them. You know, can I start yeah. tomorrow? Is tomorrow? No, tomorrow is not Monday, but, you mm-hmm. know, can I start on Monday? Yeah. So, um, you know, it doesn't work like that in, in the human world. Why would it work when we are in talking to gods? You know, right. there needs to be a relationship. Right. And we need to understand the right words and methods of doing that, I feel, to make it successful. Sure. And, and I'm ranting a lot. No, now. no. That's, I love all I love all of this. I love it. Because I feel like sometimes when we sit down with a myth and we read it and we go, what? It's exactly because it's not our culture. And where, especially maybe even like in Celtic myth, where something might seem so off the wall, right? Now, who wrote it down? How are we trying to make them look? You know, like thinking like right away of the of the Morrigan, right? Like there are some stories there with you know Cucullin, like what is going on, and where we need to kind of look to historians and folklorists and people who really live that that in that culture to kind of explain the like what is the culture and yeah, learning the language. It develop the yeah. relationship. I'm sorry, you're not just gonna, I mean, if you do just flip open the book and you nail Aphrodite and like, oh, I'm gonna use her for this and it turns out well for you, I think you are just lucky. <laughs> I think you were lucky and maybe you caught her on a good day. What? But I don't know that now well, you have a relationship. Or maybe Aphrodite had nothing to do with or it. Or maybe she had nothing to do with it and they ended up liking you. Yeah, like I, I no, I love this, I love this.
I guess we should talk about the symposium, right? Sure. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so May. We can talk about it. We could. We could. Um, May is an exciting month, I think, always, like when it comes up on the calendar. You know, for me, mm-hmm. it's the, the month that I was, I, I was ordained um, as a priestess of Hecate. Yes. But then on top of that, okay. too, even while I was studying, you know, the right, uh, the, her sacred fires, right? The right of her sacred fires always comes up on May. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. And then the symposium, which in the past, and I've seen that the symposium happened in England, and I'm like, ah, oh, one day, someday when I don't have clients that need me here, I'll fly to England and go to the symposium. <laughs> and now it's virtual. So the silver linings of a pandemic. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, so the right of a sacred fire, as you know, is the full moon of May every year, um, which I wrote in 2010, and it was never intended as a yearly celebration, but it became that somewhere along the line. And it's a devotional ritual to Hecate, which was meant as a thank you for the completion of the book Hecate of Sacred Fires, but the right of a sacred fire seems to be what that project really was about, because it developed a whole life of its own and a whole movement behind it. And it's quite unique because it's the same ritual that's been translated, I think, into, is it, I, I might be wrong, but I think it's 25 languages. Wow. And it's done every year by people over several days around the full moon now. And um, this year, um, I decided to go ahead and organise the Hecate Symposium online because that seems to be a thing, the pandemic and all that. And I resisted the urge to do that last year because everybody was doing online conferences last year. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know, this will probably be over by next year. We can have it in person next year. Because I've got to set myself this idea of doing it every three or four years because it's very specific. very specific. It's very specialised. It's all focused just on Ekati and her myths, her magic, her devotees, and, you know, there's only so many things that you can hear about it year in, year out, but it's always been a wonderful gathering here in Glastonbury in England, but, um, yeah, so, because the pandemic, we're still under semi-lockdown here in England, Um, we can now meet in groups of up to six, which is not going to make for any kind of symposium, there's a lot of international um, travel restrictions, I thought, well, you know, I might as well do this online and just see what happens because I have no idea. I've never done anything on this scale online. And so the idea blew up and I asked a few speakers that wouldn't normally be able to come to Glastonbury, like Jason Miller, Mm -hmm. Jack Grail, um, and a few other international speakers. And everybody, to my surprise, said yes. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I guess I'm doing this thing. (laughs) So um, what was going to start out as a one-day thing grew to a two-day thing. And then I had a little voice on my shoulder saying, well, you know, if there's more than 300 people, you should make it three days. (laughs) So on Monday, (laughs) it's already started um, being unveiled. But on Monday, I'll be officially announcing that we're also going to have a Friday film night where we'll be showing and it's it's completely included you know there's no extra tickets or anything like that um so all the ticket holders will have access to it 
Um, I've got two films, short films, that were made by Oriel de Finistrade Baskill, who's an Australian artist friend of mine, who's performed at the symposium in the past. And he's also created this slightly crazy sculpture park that is in the making, but obviously on pause because of the um, pandemic in Belgium, where there is a ginormous statue of Hecate that he's made. Really? Um, very not classical, um, very, mm -hmm. very interesting, very, very, um, I don't know, really specific and very energetic in his own right. So he's got two short films, one of which is an abbreviation of a longer film that he's had, which is kind of erotic-ish, esoteric-otic. He's very clever with words, and I can mm -hmm. never really quite remember the right words, but <laughs> like an esoteric, erotic Film, something, yeah. and also something that that uh, features more of his work on Hecate, and then another friend of mine who's the filmmaker in London, um, called Carrie Kirkpatrick, has made available two of her short films. One of which was made years and years and years ago in London, um, kind of with different people, and it's, it's a real mishmash. It's a really different way of approaching Hecate to me, but mm -hmm. that's you know what something like the symposium is about is, is representing different perspectives different views different people's um, approaches so she's made available a couple of short films as well so there's a film night and i'm in the process of finalizing um plans for a greek academic friend who lectures on esoteric on esoteric topics mm -hmm. to speak about the pronunciation of Hecate, Hecate, mm. Hecate. Yes, <laughs> There's that's so many good. different ways that people pronounce Hecate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's the kind of slightly abbreviated versions that are coming out now, like Hecate mm -hmm. and Hecate and Hequet and oh. Hecate. <laughs> so she'll be speaking about that and, and really kind of drawing on ancient Greek methods of understanding the pronunciation as well as on modern Greek which she's fluent in mm -hmm. as well as, as looking at other examples in you know esoteric realms of the gods that deals with pronunciation and misunderstandings and where they come from um, so that should be interesting because she's very um, she's very very thorough mm -hmm. So there'll be more news on that hopefully by Monday okay. um, and also a couple of interviews with practitioners. So it's going to be very, very busy. So that's going to be on the Friday. Um, I've also got Emily Carding, who is an actor friend of mine, who um, they will be recording the, the full length of the Homeric Hymn to Demeter wow. and telling the story, which she's... Um, Emily is a Shakespearean actor, so it should be really, really engaging to listen to that because a lot of people struggle reading sure. texts like that. So I thought that would be an interesting addition and hopefully a, a really good resource in future for people to learn about that particular story. Mm -hmm. And then on the Saturday and Sunday, we have got so many talks. Um, Georgie Misha from Bulgaria, who's a, a kind of PhD academic mm -hmm. on the kind of folklore and stuff of ancient Thrace and Bulgaria. He's going to talk about the Balkan version of Ekate. 
and he'll also be doing a presentation on his temple that he's built in the last few years which i think everybody has seen photograph oh of it's, it's so iconic it's yeah. beautiful and i've been really lucky to uh, uh, Georgie's uh, temple. That's where we. I'll, I'll splice this together. So. That's okay. okay. So, so Georgie's doing a presentation on his temple, which I think everybody's seen photos of, yeah. and it's incredible. And I was very lucky to visit the site both before the temple was built and just soon after it was consecrated. And what I was saying was that um, it's very memorable for me, both because it's a project that was so important to him and I, you know, helped a little bit in trying to make it happen. But um, also I got electrocuted by lightning while being there. Oh, wow. I've so... heard that, was that where you were? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so um, very memorable. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Shocking. Mm. Shocking. Yeah, I've gone very, very grey since then. A lot of my hair fell out and it's grown back completely grey. Oh, wow. um, I'm glad you're okay. No I mean, seriously, glad you're okay. Maybe she was just giving you a little extra oomph for the things coming in your life. <laughs> I'm not sure that it was her. I think it was an insult I gave to another oh. deity earlier. Okay, that gotcha. Day. And I was warned three times by different situations to not say what I was saying. Oh, and I kept on saying, but I don't like, mm, you know. Oh, no. um, <laughs> and when it happened, I think I kind of deserved it. <laughs> okay. It was kind of initiation. And sure, many, sure. And they didn't take you out. Reminded. Yeah, hmm? they didn't take you out. They just gave you a little zap. Gotcha. Definitely. Um, so yes. So um, you know him and Jack Grail and mm -hmm. Jake Stratton Kent, Emily Carding. We've got um, Caroline Wise from Fellowship of Isis. Carrie is doing a talk as well. Carrie Kirkpatrick will be doing a ceremony. We've got Laurie Bizarro doing one of the ceremonies, and several other people. You know, in Jason Miller and Jack Grail, I, I mm -hmm. mentioned already. And my brain is slightly mushy, so I'm sorry That's if I'm not okay. mentioning no. anybody in particular. But um, it's going to be really interesting, and there's going to be so many different perspectives, which I really think something like this should be. Mm -hmm. You know, experienced practitioners from different traditions, different backgrounds, different ideas. You know, not all the ideas represented is something I would necessarily personally agree with. Sure. Which I think that's what makes something like this really special. It's, it's why I enjoyed doing Hecate Sacred Fires a decade ago so much. Mm. Because I got to kind of just encounter all these really diverse ideas that people had. And even when I found myself disagreeing with something, sometimes there's just like a little strand running through it and you go, you know what, actually I do recognise that. You know, there's something about that that mm -hmm. rings true. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important sometimes to have different perspectives and and different ideas so I'm really really looking forward to it it's going to be exhausting you know three oh, days but um, it will be recorded so other people not me and the people that will be physically helping me will be able to catch up with with the individual talks and, and things later on as well good that makes me super happy because I'm sort of like talking to those babies that are out there like don't you guys show up and make me miss this thing <laughs> but, but if they do and I have to go be a doula, then I know I can watch the recorded. 
Um, how does anybody... You know, I don't think anybody will hold that against you. Yeah, you can go and be your quarter truffle self. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, how does one find, like, how does one get a ticket and maybe just mention the really cool thing that you did with the tickets for this event? Yeah, so um, when I decided to do this event, it was really, really difficult to decide on ticket prices Mm -hmm. because um, for the first time, participants could be from anywhere in the world and travel, which is usually a big part of the expense and accommodations and all those kinds of things just wasn't a thing anymore. So I was like, okay. So what we've done is I've decided to have a set ticket price, a normal ticket price, a concessionary concessionary price for people that can't quite afford the full price, a sponsored ticket, which is a lot more, but for people that feel that they can afford more and help, you know, pay it forward for people that can't. And then the fourth option, which has turned out to be the most puzzling for a lot of people in the pagan community, has been a by donation option, which means that people can get a full ticket, they're not going to be treated any differently from somebody that becomes a sponsor or pays the full price or pay the concessionary price, and they can literally just pay what they can afford. And there's no minimum on that at all. I think Eventbrite might have a minimum of a a dollar or a pound. Mm -hmm. It might be a little bit less, I don't know. But, you know, there's no actual minimum. So anybody from anywhere in the world can get a ticket and, you know, regardless of the financial situation or the extreme <laughs> trade, because what yeah, in certain countries sorry. are, doggy. is she's like, I agree with this. That's what she's yelling. <laughs> Everybody else yeah, can zip it with their opinions. <laughs> but, you know, as you know, because you're a long-term devotee yourself, you know that there are devotees in many countries. Yeah. We've got members in the Covenant of Hecate. It's in Turkey and in India, Brazil, Chile, and even in Venezuela, where things are really, really difficult right now, and Mexico, and and things are difficult in a lot of places right now for different reasons for people. So, yeah, so people can literally just pay what they want, (laughs) and they will get full access, and they won't be treated any way differently. I mean, people have been asking me, whether the type of ticket will be on your name when you, um, you know, get into the symposium somehow. And it's like, no, you know, it's going to be held as a Zoom webinar. Mm -hmm. And whatever name you put on your Zoom account is the name that's going to appear. Nobody's going to say, you know, hey, this one paid £5 and this one paid £20 and this one paid you know, 99 pounds. There's not going to be any of that. I mean, I'm very grateful to the sponsors and we are listing the sponsors on the website. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's just courtesy and I think that's a good thing to do because, you know, those people are really trying to kind of support it. And I've been absolutely, I don't know, I, I feel really, really blessed that there has actually been a lot of people that have stepped up and said, you know, I can pay a little bit more and I can make this happen. But the, the by donation option has been by far the most popular. Good. And not surprisingly, because we are in a very, very strange Absolutely. period of life and very uncertain for people. Right. right. You know, so just a few dollars or a few pounds can make a huge difference to people's ability to participate in something like this and still buy food. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, eat. Um, that's exactly what I was thinking. And it's inspired by. 
It's inspired a little bit by the equality meals that were offered by um, a priesthood in Anatolia, but probably in other places as well, to Hecate and Zeus, mm -hmm. where food would be offered kind of like what Sikhs still do today, for example, and other religions, Hare Krishnas do things like this as well, where the same food was offered to everybody. And, you know, that was regardless of whether they were sponsoring the event <laughs> or whether they were paupers from the street. You know, everybody would be treated the same. Everybody would be given the same food and the same mm. dessert. <laughs> yeah, no so different. it's kind of inspired by that. And, you know, it's worked out perfectly fine. It's, it's you know, I was a bit nervous at the beginning thinking, you know, what am I letting myself in for here? Mm -hmm. But it's worked out amazingly well and it's been very, very fair. It's all worked out good. Perfect. Good. So I'm very, very happy to have done this. And, you know, if I do events in the future, in fact, the courses and stuff that I'm doing myself later this year, I'm doing exactly the same way. You know, this is what would be great if you pay, but if you mm -hmm. want to pay anything, then that's fine. Because yeah. I just really don't think if there's a way of offering things like this in a way that doesn't harm anybody, you know, everybody right. will be paid for their time and their efforts. And at the same time, nobody will be excluded. I think if, if we can do things like this in the pagan community, it is a way forward. We might not have big temples or, you know, big institutions and money and donations from millions of people but I think there are ways that we can make things fair sure. and for some things like this I think this is the perfect solution yeah and I think a majority of people are going to you know be honest about it you know what I mean go hey yeah this is what I've got people, like, people have been in, so people have been incredible I mean yeah. I've, I've had you know somebody wrote to me today and said you know I can't actually attend the weekend and she's obviously not realised she can, you know, catch up later. Mm -hmm. But, you know, can I just buy a ticket and then you give it to somebody else? See, you know, so yeah. there's, there's been a lot of people that's really gone out of their way to, to try and make it work, you know, because doing an online event isn't necessarily free. No. You know, which is something no. people think, but, but there are costs involved and there's a lot of time involved time. and there's a lot of people involved. And to do it well... It, it does cost money and yeah. you know people's time isn't free either no, no. you know if you want quality things in this community we're going to have to start paying for them absolutely but it doesn't necessarily mean that we've always got to pay a lot of money to make it work because if if we can find a balance between people that can pay and people that can't pay all contributing it balances out right. and you know i'm I don't know. I'm I'm actually quite astounded by the fact that it's worked out just fine. Good. It's it's just fine. It's it's exactly just just much more than I thought it would Good. be. I I honestly thought I was going to be out of pocket. I, I told all the speakers, I hope I can pay you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're not. You know, not that anybody costs not that anybody costs a lot of money, you know, right. but I was quite willing to pay them out of out of pocket if it came down to it um but it's it's been amazing and i and i hope to see this as a model for more pagan events yeah. you know i'm not aware of anybody else that's done this but um you know it's it's just worked really really well you know a lot of people told me i was a bit nuts for doing it <laughs> well, it's very but, gracious um, of you for sure yeah very gracious of you I'm sure a lot yeah, of people but, will have you know, gratitude. It was, it, 
it's not entirely my idea you know it was like something that just came out of really thinking it through yeah and um yeah well i'm looking you know, I'll definitely forward be looking to it at, hmm? i'm looking forward to it me too but i also hope <laughs> that you know monday that rolls around that you have blocked yourself out some time to just i don't know go lay in the garden if not even garden or just do something it's wet. So, oh, okay it's maybe raining. with an umbrella <laughs> and take some time for yourself well we, to we, we're watching we're watching are we having a weekend of watching rubbish old yes. occult and pagany magic-y movies right and, and your lovely house guest is uh, on pause right now, right? So <laughs> I think he is, yes. Yeah. I so appreciate your time. I appreciate them being willing to, to press pause in the middle of your cool movie. And from here, we can let you go. I hope it's my whole popcorn. I'm hoping that they're waiting for me with more popcorn. They better be. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sarita. It was very nice meeting you. It's a pleasure. And nice to meet you, too. Yes. <laughs> Unexpected, but wonderful. Yes. Yay. Thank you so much. And thank we'll, you for having we'll me. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. We'll see you in a couple weeks online at the symposium. <laughs> Enjoy your movie. Bye. Bye. Keep it burning. Give me oil in my lamp. I pray. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. 